from Pacifica Radio in San Francisco, this is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, we spend the hour with legendary investigative filmmaker John Pilger. We'll go deep into the latest round of China bashing and threats of an all-out war with China. We'll speak with John about Ukraine and the uh, counteracting the big lies coming out of Europe around the war. And of course, we'll speak with John about the plight of his good friend, uh, the founder of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange. There's a lot to talk about. All that and more coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We got John on the line, and uh, we are happy to have the multi-Emmy Award-winning filmmaker John Pilger. He, in my opinion, is among the most important political filmmakers, investigative reporters of the 20th and 21st century, from Vietnam, yeah, 50 years ago, to Palestine, to atomic war, to now the U.S. Uh, war, the global uh, war, the war of the West against China. John has been really on the front line. There's so much more to say. John Pilger, I'm delighted to get you back on the show. Welcome. And it's uh, very good to be back on the show. All right. Well, listen, uh, can we start with just like a little um, uh, get your take on the story that was uh, released uh, by the Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Seymour Hirsch regarding the sabotaging uh, of the Nord Stream pipelines, which were constructed to carry natural gas from Russia to Europe. you have any thoughts on this? Do you buy this story? Is it a possibility? Why would it be significant? Yes, I, I think it's uh, an extremely important story. I mean, of course, with Cy Hirsch, you have to take uh, all of his work on faith because his style is simply not to uh, publish his sources. And that's how he gets the sources. He gets, uh, and his main source in this story is somebody very close to the the operation itself. Um, Sai has such an extraordinary record of truth-telling that um, my uh, understanding and instinct about this story is that it's absolutely true. Um, um, it's been suggested that the British probably played a role in there too, 
Uh, but who knows? Um, but when you just stand back a little from it, Dennis, isn't it extraordinary, truly extraordinary, that a major piece of infrastructure belonging to, built by Russia, belonging to Germany, uh, I think a Swiss company operates it, coming through Norway, can be blown up, which it was blown up. I mean, that's, there's no question about that. It was blown up. Uh, and, uh, and all we had at the time was some disinformation that uh, the Russians themselves had blown up their own pipeline. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, my, I think it's a, an important story because it'll further educate many more people on just what is happening in the world at the moment, and especially in Europe, and especially, of course, around Ukraine. But the, uh, the, the fact that all attempts at peace, all attempts at a security agreement, a real security agreement in Europe have been sabotaged by NATO, especially the United States and especially the United Kingdom. And now that the pipeline itself, uh, which... Uh, is in many ways simply a symbol of it all because here is Russia uh, having uh, a great resource such as natural gas, uh, Germany needing the national natural gas, and the uh, uh, and a perfectly legitimate trade between the two countries and geopolitically logical trade between the countries is sabotaged. How can we allow that to happen in the 21st century? Um, so let's hope that this story um, begins to wake people up. They certainly need to wake up in Europe. Well, you know, when the when the pipeline was blown up, there was no real um, expression of outrage about the uh, terrorism uh, carried out against the Russians. There was, there seemed to be among uh, an expression of a bit of joy among certain folks, like the Undersecretary of the State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland. She seemed to be happy about the the situation. Well, why would she be so happy? Uh, it's terrorism. even more arrogant than they used to be, uh, Dennis. Um, Biden himself said before it happened, when uh, I think just before um, Russia began its invasion of Ukraine, uh, he said that uh, if they do that, well, then the pipeline, what's the effect? The pipeline will um, be no more. Uh, they they own so much of the space in which we are allowed to think and analyse and be informed. I suppose we call it the media, whatever it is. Uh, whatever it 
but they feel they can say virtually anything. Um, so that's the answer to your question, I think. All right, well, let's, um, speaking of saying everything, there are so many uh, arenas I want to bring you into, but let's um, start with the China bashing. Of course, one of your most recent films is uh, The Coming War on China, prescient uh, as have all your films been in in various ways. Uh, But let me maybe start off the segment this way. Uh, you, a U.S. general, it's from, I think, the Times or somewhere, U.S. general warns troops that war with China is possible in two years. Uh, general Michael Minihan, who oversees the Air Force's fleet of transport and refueling aircraft, cited the 2024 presidential elections in Taiwan and the United States as part of his rationale. Can you... Can you unpack? How do you see his rationale here? He obviously is expressing the will of the U.S. government. Yeah, I mean, I I think we we have to just temper it slightly, Dennis, by saying uh, there's an old tradition amongst American generals and admirals uh, to shoot their mouths off about the first thing that seems to come into that space occupied above their medals. Uh, and we've, 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 admirals have been doing it for the last few years. Now the general is doing it. Um, I'm not sure that he should be taken on face value, though it does show that, that the whole system of of, um, of 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 uh, geopolitical stability is is at risk when when people senior people like that can can make can make statements make their predictions. What we do know is that the U.S. has been gaming an invasion of China. Uh, for at least the last decade longer, uh, I've seen one of these uh, these game plans, and many of them, um, which China has invaded. Uh, there's a kind of shock and awe to it. Uh, it it's so the the, pre- the preparation is certainly there. Of course, things are changing so rapidly. First of all, the technology of weaponry is changing and rather frighteningly so. But the Pentagon knows that the Chinese have developed uh, missiles and uh, uh, other defensive weaponry that can take out whole fleets of ships. So um, I mean, this is this is the kind of almost uncivilized brinkmanship that we should not even be entertaining at the moment. There should be negotiations, talking between countries uh, uh, about uh, uh, trying to to find some common ground. Uh, 
the truth is very simple, Dennis. It comes down to the fact that the United States, since the Second World War, has uh, become so used to being the dominant superpower in the world that it, that it simply cannot... It, 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 it cannot even entertain the idea that it may be um, equal or number two even. It's not going to be particularly number two. It'll be probably more or less equal in some respects. It remains the greatest military power, um, but it's not the only one. We have that cliche uh, multipolar world well, that's what it is becoming. There are many countries now developing fast all over the world. There's still too much underdeveloped, still development, still too much poverty in countries that should be prospering. But that said, the, the progress among countries that languished for many years... Uh, and in spite of some very bad politics, uh, has been quite stunning. So we, we're, we, we will, the next generation will most certainly have, whether the Americans like it or not, they, there is going to be a multi-polar world. Uh, they're like King Canute, you know, who tried to turn back the oceans. Uh, it's just not going to happen. The danger is what they might do in trying to make it happen. Um, we're seeing that already in the forced and provoked confrontation with Russia over Ukraine. Uh, and it appears they, they want something uh, with China too. And, um, it's, it's beyond irresponsible. We know that. Yeah, absolutely. We're speaking with John Pilger, filmmaker. We're talking about, uh, among other things, China. John has many, many, many films, and he's got uh, a recent film about the coming war in China, which is so prescient uh, and important uh, in this context. Now, um, I don't know why I... Every time I think about the U.S. shooting down the blimp, um, I think about the Hindenburg uh, in terms of like the destruction of the possibilities uh, when you shoot uh, and or, you know, when you have a total conflagration as opposed to the possibility of like talking to each other. But it is sort of amazing given the history of blimps, of the knowledge that each country has about the other country's extensive uh, spying at all levels. Anybody remember you two? This is, when you say it's sort of, you know, they say Trump's insane, and maybe he is, or he's dangerous. But th how dangerous is that policy? Shoot the blimp? Yeah. Uh, Dennis, it's... <laughs> I, the shooting down of the balloon, I thought, was so practical. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's a balloon. Uh, and what was it finding out? That there is 
explained across the United States, and I don't know what it was finding out, and who cares? Um, and it, as a single balloon, it couldn't have been very important, even if it was trying to spy on something. But this dramatic shooting it down, I mean, sort of infantile. Um, <clears throat> looking at the other side, some 400 U.S. bases effectively surround China. Um, um, they start from Australia and go all the way up through the Pacific Islands, uh, through the Philippines, Japan, Korea, Okinawa. Uh, there are drones and low-draft ships on the doorstep of China, day in and day out. And on the other side, there's a balloon. Um, you know, it's this kind of... It's, it's Hypocrisy doesn't count for it anymore. It's a blindness that... Um, uh, that, that I think m much of the world, if not most of the world, now understands that the United States sees itself in complete isolation. It doesn't... It, it's, and that everything else has to be reckoned to be a threat. And the fact that it is the threat, uh, that, that it provides a threat to countries like China, is not even part of the discourse. Um, th this is kind of insanity, and I don't think it's one that's shared by most people. I think most people understand it now. I've felt sorry for um, Americans who really believe in their government, their media, and, and all this... Uh, uh, exceptional nonsense that has been propagated for, um, since the 19th century, um, then, uh, I mean, isn't it time it ended and, and that in the United States, regardless of what government, regardless of who's the president, isn't it time the United States started living with the world it's in? I think it's a reasonable question. Yeah. And absolutely. And I mean, you, the, the way so many different variations on the theme of um, China bashing, uh, but w we've seen this around uh, COVID and the blame game around COVID. Uh, but what we know, John... When it really comes to to uh, manufacturing biological uh, agents that can be dangerous and have escaped multiple times from U.S. Uh, uh, labs, <clears throat> one would it's hard to uh, sort of throw that one at China when the United States is at the leading edge of biological warfare. When you say this is something to be yeah. maybe well. be considered. I I don't know the answer to that, Dennis. I I've read 
around the the accusations on both sides and uh, um, of course everything is possible there have been forms of biological warfare there there certainly was very strong evidence of it during the Korean War um, but um, um, I, I I I simply don't know um, what I do know is that there's some extraordinary things happening in the world and actually in China, but we're not allowed to know of them. The fact that that country, that society, has changed its, uh, its imbalances, its class imbalances, its, uh, that, that it's eradicated serious poverty completely uh, is, is kind of a, kind of remarkable in the extreme and probably in such a short time and not much more than a generation and yes there have been casualties and yes the government is not perfect far from it uh, but that all this has happened peacefully. And I know when I was in China the last time, I was astonished because I hadn't been there for 30 years, 25, 30 years. The changes were extraordinary. Well, isn't, isn't this our mission on this earth to improve the lot, our lot to improve the lot of our environment if that's at all possible to make things fairer for our, us in living um it's so interesting and yet information about it basic information about it is is lost in this as you rightly call it china bashing constantly um as I say, I say at the beginning, Dennis, I believe now it's infantile and that, that uh, we're getting to the point where we, and I'm not sure it's only we, but certainly powerful nations and especially the United States have to grow up uh, uh, to, to grow up and become full-thinking adults because this is this is ridiculous every day where we're asked to believe we're asked to believe um, uh, fairy tales as news you know the few times that I turn on the television and if I'm in the right mood I'll fall back laughing uh, yeah. if I'm not in the right mood then it has quite a different effect <laughs> uh, this is meant to be the news and we get a tsunami of this every day what's going on it's uh it's the perfection of stenographer journalism is what it is uh, and uh corporations yeah, but, boy, but, they, but they're why, holding why is there <laughs> oh, no, why, you, why you answered 
I'm asking the questions here. Why don't you answer that question? Why? How did we get here? I don't know. Because I can't. Here's what I. Here's what. Yeah. Speaking of lessons that should have been learned, we are, uh, and you know, this is sort of a an interesting segue. I think we are. This is we are coming on the fiftieth year since the Vietnam War. Now, you were no stranger to that war, and your reporting uh, at every level was extraordinary. Is the way we're treating China sort of an indication that there were no lessons learned? I think, I think, yes, there were no lessons learned. Or I'd put it slightly differently, and that is that the the great motor of the most powerful nation, the United States, is that of imperialism, a term that has been with human beings for as as long as they've organized themselves into entities and countries and governments, but which has been most potent in the last several hundred years. Um, I think the United States is almost a 19th century country. It's an imperialist country. All that is missing um, the sort of the the admission that they are imperialists. Imperialists used to be very proud of what they did. They'd go forth into the world and civilize the natives and uh, and do the best with uh, the natives' resources and all that. Uh, you can't do that anymore, so you have to make up a, a new tale. But that's what Vietnam was about. It was about stopping a country developing the way it wanted to develop. And that's what Cuba is about. It's about stopping a country, no matter how small. In fact, as someone famously said, you know, the smaller the adversary... Uh, the greater the threat, because if a, a weak adversary can do it, can can uh, um, uh, oppose the great imperialist U.S., then anybody can. So this rampaging that has been going on now for God knows how long of the United States, certainly since the Korean War, certainly since the early 1950s uh, of an imperialist state attacking countries, undermining them, manipulating their financial systems, destroying, subverting their economic systems, and so on and so forth. Um, I hope, I hope the world is now has now had enough of this. You wouldn't know through the media, which itself, is, media is probably the 
the best example of imperialism because the media is owned, the so-called misnamed mainstream is owned basically by the United States and its Western allies. It's an imperialist state. It puts out imperialist propaganda. Uh, there's no question about that. There's no, there's no, you know, now and then you get a little bit of news that will come through, but not much. Uh, so it's an imperial expression. Um, we're not even allowed to know how we re each of us really live. That's why I mentioned China. We have no idea, really, how Chinese society lives. We have no idea how Russian society lives. Frankly, we have very little idea how American society lives. We know of all the problems and all the terrible violence and so on, but we, know, we don't know how ordinary people live, how they struggle, how they keep their jobs, keep their homes, um, because there is no news as such. There's no news on a, on a wider sense. The news uh, is, is, <clears throat> is part of the imperialism that seeks to rule the world by force. Very, I'm sorry if I've gone on a bit about it, Dennis. Oh, no, no, this is important stuff, John, please. Yeah, it's a very important subject because it's only on programs like yours, and there aren't many like yours, if any, uh, that, uh, that we will hear this kind of discussion. Um, otherwise, it's a formula, isn't it? You know, we know it's a formula. We turn it on, and part of our mind just simply adjusts to accept the formula. Um, and I think we deserve better. I certainly agree with that. It, and it is, I mean, the ironies and the the questions that are never asked. I mean, I think about, uh, what's her name, uh, Nicole Wallace does two hours on MSNBC. Nicole Wallace was the communications director for Bush 2. But if, if that's not, and so she was the, the torture justifier. Now she's the liberal on the network. But they just took on Jen Psaki. She, she went from the press secretary. I'm sorry. She went from the press secretary uh, of Biden and to the MSNBC. No questions asked. No problem. I, nobody tells me what to report. You know, how many times have you heard that, John? Nobody tells me what to put in the paper. Oh, yeah? Well, let me see you do a story on Palestine <laughs> and how see, see how long you last. Yeah. See what kind of byline yeah. you get. Will you get the cover? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Absolutely. Sorry. Look, look. It's the, these these people are the work of fiction, <clears throat> and they'd be the kind of fiction I'd be very pleased <clears throat> to settle back and read. But unfortunately, I can't because they're not fiction. Uh, and uh, at the back of my mind is the knowledge that they actually exist. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it, 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 yeah, it, 
But where is, there is so much interest, I think, in humanity, in each other. And there always has been. We've learned from each other. That's just part of being human. And yet now we're, we're said to have the greatest wondrous communication technology that allows us to, that horrible word, connect um, more than ever. But we're not connecting at all. We're not connecting. We're just, you know, those who, who have most of the, this uh, resource of communications um, simply go on abusing and disinforming the world. Um, that, that's 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 regressive. It's it's taking us back. That's why I think the U.S. in so many respects, and I say this quite seriously, is a 19th century country. It hasn't mm -hmm. yet struggled into the 20th century, uh, and uh, I think it. I think probably among what used to be called the intelligentsia, they don't use that word anymore, but I'll use it in in the US. Maybe there is the suspicion that that is true and that other countries are really um, taking hold of the 21st century. And China's just, just going ahead, you know, just regardless of what United States does is going ahead with this extraordinary rate of development and involving other countries, um, giving and de development plans, um, negotiating development plans with with Africa and Latin America and Asia um, uh, in return for the resources that they need. This is just going ahead. How, how many journalists do you think in Washington would know what AFRICOM is really for, or even if that it's there? You know, like the future of Africa well, is, um, as, is going to be as, purchased as, by the United States. We don't have maps anymore. What? <laughs> yeah. We don't have maps anymore. We only have little phones. So <laughs> I think they might right. have trouble finding it on a real map and impossible to find it on their phone. But, uh, but we have the uh, agency, AFRICOM, and that that was created, right, to suck, just like we did every other hemisphere, to suck the resources out of Africa. The United States yeah. of America doesn't care about the humanity uh, in support, in collective action with Africa. This is like research. Would they say, they see, they use words like real estate when they refer to Africa. Yes. That's right. But mind you, they always did refer to real estate in Asia. They used to talk, yes. you remember, about... Uh, 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 about dominoes, as if countries are great blocks of wood. Uh, so, yes, real estate. And, you know, all jokes aside, uh, it was Obama, uh, the first black president in the land of slavery, yes, who uh, effectively invaded Africa. He sent into Africa 
American forces. Uh, this was virtually no news at the time. An Africa command was set up. Uh, it's, uh, uh, the Africans didn't want to have much to do with it. Finally, they've given in. I think it's now in Addis Ababa. Uh, and so all over Africa, uh, American military to guard the very investments you talk about. Um, you know, Britain has more investments in Africa now than it did at the height of its empire. <laughs> and it, you know, it's as powerful <laughs> yes. as, uh, as, as uh, even more powerful as it was then. Uh, we, that is, we in the West, have the technology, we have, uh, we have these resources that are needed to exploit um, the, um, the resources. Um, <clears throat> and so we, we, can, we can do this, but we can't do this without looking over our shoulder and seeing the Chinese actually doing it very differently. The Chinese get on very well with the Africans. Uh, they go in, they, they give them soft loans, and the deal is they get some of their resources back and um, that China needs. And the country ends up having a, a fourth six-lane highway or a, uh, all the bridges that were never built during its colonial time. Or a, or a railway line or whatever. Um, so it's not... Mr. Obama's invasion of Africa is not quite going to plan. Um, and again, and that's why they're, they're so very angry about China in Washington. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, to put it simply, really, in, you know, in the macro look... Uh, China builds cities and the United States builds weapons. Cities do much better in terms of uh, bringing good feeling, uh, good results back to mother country. That's the point you're making uh, with China. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, you can't... Well, there's that old story, you know the story, John, about the, the, the guy, he's like, on the boardwalk at night, late at night, and he's on his knees under the only light. There's only one light there, and he's looking for his keys under that light, and a stranger comes along and says, what are you doing down there? He says, I'm looking for my keys. Uh, and the stranger says, but are you sure you lost them there? But the, the guy on his knees says, no, but this is the only place where there's a light, you know, and the next line is, so to war. Uh, there, there, <laughs> there's, you know, that's that's all we seem to know. And what comes back from weapons, John? Yeah, 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 yeah. Body bags. I mean, the, the whole. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what the the amount of weapons being poured into Ukraine now uh, uh, is. Uh, it's just uh, it's, it's just extraordinary. Uh, it's not that they'll really be able to do much because the training that is needed in these, particularly these modern weapons, uh, can take years. 
But the arms companies are just pouring them in, uh, along with all the the other great companies that are exploiting it. I mean, Shell, the Shell, I read today that the Shell actually lists on its, the reasons for its growth in profit without using the word Ukraine, but it uses the word operation, which means that. So, you know, everyone's doing extremely well out of it, particularly the weapons companies. Um, yeah. The, uh, um, and especially the U.S. Uh, weapons uh, companies. That's something that just hasn't changed. It's, it's fossilized. It's, it just goes on and on. The, the manufacture of weapons, the selling of weapons, uh, and the moment there is a war, a small war or a big war, um, here is the opportunity to test them. I've been at, I filmed in, in so-called arms fairs where on the most popular products have had the sign tested in battle. Uh, and Iraq uh, gave the weapons companies an enormous boost. So um, it it uh, these are issues that we need to address, but we need a forum in which to address them, and not yes, to a forum. Uh, oh. Yeah. Let, let, yeah, let me no, jump in here, John, because that, that, that's, yeah, this, is, this is exactly where I want to go. When's the last time you saw Julian, heard from Julian? I saw Julian the... about a month ago, um, and I spent two hours with him in Belmarsh Prison. And I must say I was encouraged by this visit because... I felt he was in better shape than when I'd last seen him. I thought his spirits were up. Um, and I discussed this with, um, um, with his wife, Stella. And of course, as she rightly points out, it can go up and then go terribly down. Yeah. Um, but life is a, is a kind of roller coaster of anxiety. I mean, this is true of most people in prison, but I think in Julian's case, where he has this damocles sword of extradition hanging over his head, uh... So when I've seen him in the past, um, he hasn't been in good condition. So I have seen him in various, um, I've seen him in various circumstances. And uh, but I was pleased that Julian's resilience, which I've always regarded as remarkable, 
appears to be working. That uh, he's holding up. That's the best That's way of good. describing it, I think. <clears throat> That's very good news. We are glad to hear that, John, and uh, we're glad uh, that uh, we have all been able to work with Julian and that he also has a friend like you, and there are people all over this world who understand and recognize the work he's done for the mm. people for, mm. uh, to help all of us think more clearly uh, about the world and how to act inside of it. He really has given a gift and he created a, a structure to counteract that which we essentially have been alluding to throughout this hour, is that the you know, the the flow of information, of clean, clear, uh, crucial, unfettered information meant, not meant to, you know, prop up a war or a dictator. It's hard to get. And here was somebody who created a way for us to understand more about our world. Am I overstating the case? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Uh, and he's given us... WikiLeaks gave us uh, gave us information, uh, gave us uh, unfettered information, information that hadn't been contaminated, um, hadn't been distorted, um, and I I believe that most people understand that we have a right to that information. We have a right to know. And that's what WikiLeaks provided. And he he was that dangerous that the US intelligence agencies plotted to kill him? He that what makes him that dangerous? Yeah, well that's very dangerous. The truth is always dangerous. Um and uh uh, as many truth-tellers have learned. Truth-telling, whistleblowing, whatever you wish to call it, is a very dangerous occupation, probably the most dangerous, um, because you'll find against you adversaries that you may not see, you may not hear, but they're there. Um, and uh, um, in Julian's case, of course, once they could get their hands on him, um, the full—I suppose—the full scale of his importance and punishment is now happening. He, the time he spent, he went into Belmarsh Prison in April. 2019 uh, uh, it feels like and it feels to him and it certainly feels to those of us who visited, visited him to be a much longer sentence uh, because hanging over him is the prospect of then spending the rest of his life in an American hellhole um, and that's a real prospect at the moment. Um, so 
we uh, uh, however he he hasn't been extradited it's still in the courts it's still grinding its way through a, an arcane system um, so there's still hope just to let people know that <clears throat> excuse me um, there is a a new film um, about uh, the plight of Julian Assange uh, that will be showing uh, in the Bay Area and in different parts of the country will be welcoming uh, Julian's father and brother and some of the entourage, the filmmaker, the folks who worked on that film. And uh, we'll be talking more about that tomorrow on our Flashpoint show with Medea Benjamin, who just happens to be back from Cuba uh, as well. So she's got a lot to say about uh, that trip uh, as well. Uh, we're speaking now, and we're honored uh, and really uh, happy to have the chance to speak with John Pilger. Who um, do you? What's the latest count of how many films you've made, John? <laughs> I can't count well, that. Uh, I, have. <laughs> I counted them last time as sixty-one. Sixty-one, uh, and they're 61. all worth. They're all worth seeing, and they're at the. They're now. Uh, forgive me, because I don't have all my notes in front of me. But they're now all your your film collection uh, is now stored in uh, Great Britain at a at the archives at the National Archives. Or? Yeah, they're available. Anybody can watch most of them. They simply have to go to my website, johnpilger.com, www.johnpilger.com. Uh, go to video, and there they are. I put them up to be available for everybody. And uh, so if people are interested, that's the way to see them. They are. That and all my archive is now uh, stored at the British Library in London. But um, the, the films are available for watching. Well, that's and that is terrific. Um, I wish there were uh, as many John Pilger's as there are John Pilger films, uh, because we could use. <laughs> I would like that just to see uh, the powers that be run uh, away. Because if, if you if you had a John Pilger in every country, that would be a good start. Art. Um but seriously the the uh you know the the plight of journalism which we uh, hate to talk about but it it it's gotten it's gone crazy it's gotten absolutely ridiculous and of course we know at the root of it all is uh an idiotic school system you know where you got now you got government Governors in America running around carrying the war, putting the you know going eye to eye with the woke. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna beat woke. Well, we we'll make sure we don't wake. <laughs> uh, oh, John. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, well, what else? Uh, just sort of you know as we get ready to say goodbye. I think we're probably exhausted at the moment. <laughs> uh, you know, we 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 get so few shots. Uh, I like to take advantage. No, I'm happy to whenever. come on as often as you like. 
Yeah. That's great, John. That's great. And we're again, we are looking yeah. forward to bringing the Assanges uh, into town, fighting that fight. Our friend Randy Credico has been unrelenting um, in his uh, yeah. his sign campaign, well, which has been Randy's amazing. Randy's been doing an amazing job with his with his programs about Julian. Extraordinary, absolutely indefatigable, just wonderful work. So have you, Dennis. You've, you're, though there's a small uh, list of honor of people who have kept the, uh, the Julian Assange story alive, and you're on it, and Randy is, and not many others. It's amazing how he has been abandoned. Of course, why would, you know, and this is how he slapped me in the face. Why would I be surprised that the the journalistic yeah. community, which has everything to lose, is still willing to abandon him? It sort of reminds me of the way the uh, the Republicans cling to the Trumpites. You know, they, it's like they can't think of anything else to do, so they do the same old, same old. It's insane. Yeah. And, and yeah. They, 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 yeah. they can't see they're not journalists. <laughs> Gotta go crazy. Yeah. All right, yeah. John, be safe. Take care of yourself. We really appreciate all the time Thank you spent you, with us Dennis. today. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, and all the very best to you and and, uh, and 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 to your listeners. Thank you, Dennis. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. It's Bye -bye. an honor. Be safe. And, Mike, if you're out there, it would be great. We've got a couple of extra minutes. If you want to see if you can curate the next three minutes with something wonderful for our ears, I think it would be nice to do that. So, uh, again, you are listening to Flashpoints on Pacific Radio, and uh, we're going to see if we can go out with some music.
that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening.